Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. Numbers chapter 32, a kosher or a non-kosher request? Which was it? A kosher or a non-kosher response by Moses? Which was it? I'll leave you to decide. Make that decision. It's an interesting subject here. The two and a half tribes. So, Father, we pray. Amen. Open our eyes, Lord, that we can behold wonderful things from your word, we pray. Speak to us by your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, Lord. Make your, may your word become life to us, to impart, to teach us, to disciple us, to help us grow. In Yeshua's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. The sons of Reuben and God had very large herds and flocks, Numbers 32, verse 1, and they saw that the territory of Jazer and Gilead were ideal for livestock. So the sons of Reuben and God came and they said to Moses, Eliezer the Kohen and the princes of the community, saying, mentions a number of names here, I'm not going to try to pronounce, the territory Adonai conquered before the community of Israel. This is, these are uh, territory, territory they conquered on the east side of Jordan prior to their entering the, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. They, these lands are suitable for livestock. They're ideal, actually. They're beautiful. They're lush. They're, they're wonderful live for our livestock. And your servants have livestock. We have a lot of livestock. And then they said, if we have found favor in your eyes, let this territory be given to your servants as a possession. Don't make us cross the Jordan. Moses replied to the sons of God and Reuben, sure. <laughs> It's not what he did. Moses really uh, loses it here. He says, should your countrymen go to war while you dwell here? Why do you dishearten the children of Israel from going across the land that the Lord has given, them, given to them? Your fathers did this when, and he's, so he's reciting, he's, he's, this has triggered a memory from 38 probably 38 years ago. It's triggered the memory from when the scouts, the 10 scouts, remember, had gone to border, they're on the border ready to enter Israel, and they came back with the report, and it triggered uh, that memory of where the children of Israel ended up not entering the land and having to, to uh, go back because they saw the enemy and the fear spread, and he's afraid this is going to do the same thing. Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea 
to look over the land. They went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, but they discouraged the hearts of the children of Israel not to enter the land which the Lord gave them. The anger of the Lord was roused that day, and they swore an oath, saying, The men who came out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward will not see the land. So God made the edict then. That was it. Uh, that generation would not see the land that, I, that God promised, that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for they have not followed after me with a whole heart, except which two? Right, Caleb, the son of Jephthah, Kenizzite, Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they are, were wholeheartedly after Adonai. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused them to wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation doing that evil in the Lord's sight was uh, gone. Now look, here you stand in the place of your fathers as a brood of sinful men to add more. So he's really upset. More to the Lord's great wrath against Israel. If you turn away from him, he will repeat against, again, leaving this people in the wilderness, you being the cause, the cause of this people's destruction. They will come up, to, then they came. So this is Moses' tirade, his response, his furious, what they're doing. Then they came up to him and said, wait a minute, we will build sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our children. But we are prepared to arm ourselves. This is where chalutz comes, is in this Hebrew here, where we get chalutzim, the pioneers, you know, that, that built the land of Israel in the uh, late 1800s that prepared the way for for the for the for Israel's uh, rebirth, we're going to we're going to go ahead. We're going to go in front of the other tribes until we have brought them to their place. Our children will live in the cities, fortified against the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the children of Israel receive their, his inheritance. Yet we will not inherit with them on this on the side beyond the Jordan, the Promised Land. In other words, the the west side. Since our inheritance has come to the east side of the Jordan. Moses said to them, so here's a negotiation going on here. Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm, Moses is reconsiders now and says, if you will arm yourselves for battle for Adonai, if you will cross the Jordan until the Lord has driven his enemies out before him and the land is subdued before Adonai, then afterward you may return and be free from the Lord from Adonai and Israel, then this territory will be your possession before Adonai. But if you don't do this, behold, you sin against Adonai, be assured your sin will find you out. You've probably heard that verse before used, and you know, your sin will find you out. Be, build for yourself cities for your children and pens for your flocks, then do what has come out of your mouth. The sons of God and Reuben said to Moses, saying, your servants will do just as my Lord is commanding. Our children, our wives, flocks, our, all our herds will remain in the cities of Gilead, but your servants, everyone armed for battle, will cross over the Jordan before the Lord, just as my Lord says. Moses then gave the orders about them to Eliezer the Cohen, the, the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chiefs, etc., and so told them that basically repeats this, that they're going to, and the sons of Reuben, but down in verse 31, answered what, what the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will cross fully armed before Adonai to Canaan, Canaan, but our inheritance will be on this side of the Jordan. Moses then gave, gave to them the sons of God, Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, sons of Joseph, the kingdom of 
Sihon, king of the Amorites, kingdom of Og, kingdom of Bashan, etc., the land and the cities, etc. So here's what happens. Quite a story. Who was right? Who was wrong? What's, the, what's going on here? Well, God was known, G-A-D, not G-O-D, God uh, was known to be a warrior tribe, and they conquered and received the most land of all the tribes. And in principle, all the Israelites were supposed to cross the Jordan and settle in the land of Canaan uh, that is west of the Jordan. And they only, ca- they, they only captured the kingdoms of Sihon and Og because those kingdoms had attacked them first. But they conquered that land, and they had this land on the east side of the Jordan. Now, a request comes from the children of Reuben and God to settle east of the Jordan River. They had a lot of livestock, and they saw that the east area of this promised land was lush and bountiful for their flocks and herds, and they offered to forego their inheritance in the land. We have this nice land that we've already subdued. You know, it has to go to someone. Got to do something with it. And we'd like to stay here, they basically say. Well, Moses reacts. And he's basically, two points he's saying. Why should everyone fight, everyone else fight, and you stay here? Number two, he says, you'll incite fear like the negative report those 38 years ago when they wanted to stay in Egypt when ready to enter the promised land. And, they, and they'll, say, they'll say, as a result, we can't defeat the peoples. And this was the story of the scouts, as we mentioned, previous generation for, uh, pre- sent to prepare the previous generation to conquer the land from the south. In the story, it's Numbers 13 and 14, where that's recorded. Now, in the story, in that story, the Israelites were reluctant to conquer Canaan, and the result was an entire generation dead in the wilderness, in the desert, and delayed realization of the land promise. It was a covenantal catastrophe. So now, Moses is saying, if I honor your request, it will spread to the other tribes, and they'll all just want to take the the properties already captured like you. They won't want to go over, all right? Now, so the two and a half tribes clarify their request, and after a certain amount of negotiation, Moses agrees. So let's look at this. Misunderstanding... Sometimes there's misunderstanding, and sometimes there's misinterpretation. I'd just like to make some points out of it, and, and we'll get to it. But think about this, how easily it is to misunderstand and to misinterpret. Does that ever happen to you? Um, think about misreading a text. I almost hate texting anymore, don't you? Uh, hate texting because you can misread a text. You don't know the tone of the text. You don't know what is really... You can't is so little you can see from a text. And you assume sometimes a tone that's not intended and imagine something that's not intended. Or an unread, an unread text or an email or a missed phone call that is not responded to. Why didn't he reply? Why didn't she reply? <laughs> and then the pressure's on. Well, if I don't reply quickly, do they think I'm ignoring them? You know, and these kind of things. Misunderstanding occurs, and, and then we, then, or, or, or only hearing part of the story, only hearing part, and then drawing premature conclusions. Misunderstanding occurs when the listener hears 
what the speaker says from a different context and so interprets it differently. Misunderstanding happens when the speaker doesn't give the necessary information which the listener needs to have the full picture. You're talking about a subject and have specific, a specific object in your mind, think about it, while your listener has a totally different object in mind in association with the same word or subject. There's a lot of illustrations you could give, and I'm not great at illustrations, to be honest. I, I have to work at illustrations, but, but I'm sure a lot of you could think of some that are much better. But it happens all the time. Now, I, I just wrote down some ideas of cross-cultural communication. I live in a cross-cultural marriage, so I, you know, it's, it still happens after 35 years. We, mis, we have miscommunication. After 35 years, think about it. Cross-cultural communication. Individualistic countries, is, it's normal to voice unfiltered opinions and ideas, to just spout it, spout it out. But versus hierarchical, hierarchical cultures where you speak up only after, like Japan, for example, where you speak up only after the more senior colleagues have expressed their views. Now, I, you know, you know I, I remember years ago, many years ago, even traveling in the, in the Middle East, and you said you never start talking. When you meet someone and you're sitting down to dis- discuss them, you, don't, you say you don't immediately start talking about what you are there to talk about. If you do that, that's very rude, and you're going to lose... If it was business, you'd lose the deal, or you'd, but you'd lose the interest. But if it's friendship, you won't gain the friendship. You have to talk first and get to know the person that you take time. Latin Americans, or Israelis too, at, are at ease with overlapping conversations and interruptions. <laughs> All right. Viewing them as signs... Viewing, viewing them... <laughs> Viewing them as signs of engagement. But others accustomed to more orderly patterns of communication can feel cut off or crowded out by the same behavior. People from Latin and Middle Eastern cultures raise their voices. People from Asia or Scandinavia use silence and unreceptive body language to convey opposition. It's interesting. I was thinking about sarcasm, you know, sarcasm. I mean, uh, I'm from, I've lived in the South, and I love the South. I don't want to leave it. I'm originally from the Northeast. Sarcasm can be taken completely different, can it? Some of us from the Northeast, is, it's considered to me, you know, uh, uh, you know affectionate, really, and from the Northeast. It's, and, but in the South, it can be considered to be harsh and rude, you know, completely the way it's, the way, the way it's taken. So, <laughs> uh, and here's an interesting thing I saw. A server at the restaurant, server says, do you want super salad? Yes. <laughs> no. Do you want super salad? Yeah. I want, do you want soup or salad? You know, just words. <laughs> words can be, just words can be. It's just so easy to have misunderstanding, isn't it? and mis- misread things and misinterpret. But um, misreading people's words and, me- and hence misjudging their motives is so easy. You know, it really is. Paul says 
the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. He says, so let each one of us, one think of us in this way, as Messiah's helpers and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, what is required of stewards is to be found trustworthy. But to me, Paul says, it matters very little to be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified by this. doesn't mean I'm innocent. It says, it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not judge. Here's the key verse, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Do not judge anything before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things in the darkness and also make clear the motives of the heart. Then the praise for each one will come from God. God sees the motives. We don't ever know a person's motives. Now, Moses' reaction Moses' reaction, you know, uh, James says, let everyone be swift to hear, right? Swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And Moses really reacts quickly here. He really reacts. It triggers this in him. I, it definitely triggered him what they said, triggered in him what happened years ago, and it brought it all back to his memory. And he says, you're going to ruin it for everyone. You're going to destroy the whole unity of the people. You're going to create a huge disaster for us. What you're asking, an initial and but then he hears what they, they re-clarify what they're saying, and but we're going to look at it a couple ways, and then he reconsiders. Now, here's an initial request, then a misunderstanding, or was it? We'll look at that. And then a rebuke, a big rebuke, and then a revision of the request along with a pledge and an eventual fulfillment of the pledge, which we'll see that they actually did fulfill their pledge, by the way, completely, Joshua, the book of Joshua records, and a granting of it, a granting of it, and they got, and Joshua records, they also got the land. Moses, in the end of his life, actually speaks a blessing upon God and even commends him for his choice. He says, blessed is the one who enlarges God, G-A-D, and he it says he chose the best in Deuteronomy 33:20. Joshua commands and blesses them. Joshua does in Joshua chapter 22, which we'll look at. But I just want to say, we all make mistakes. We all, except for two of us here, get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> Only two in this room don't ever make mistakes or ever get it wrong, and you're one of them, right? All right. And... We have to be careful because things trigger sometimes past memories, don't they? Past negative memories and result in fear and erupt in fear and bring back fear. And we have to recognize that. And we go, oh, no, here we go again. And we have to recognize that. Or let me say, did Moses really misinterpret at all their initial request? After all, did God ever promise this land east of the Jordan as part of his covenant to the community of Israel? And would the two and one-half tribes still be part of the community of Am Yisrael, of the people of Israel, if they're living in an area not part of that promise to them outside of the covenant? The Reubenites and the Gadites end their requests with a statement, al te'avire renu et Hayardain, don't make us cross the Jordan. Chapter 32, verse 5. 
And this seems deceptively simple, really. Don't make us cross the Jordan. But then they seem to, it seems to me, they changed their story when Moses comes home with a really strong rebuke. And they said, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to go in front. We're going to, we're not, I don't know. You have to take a look at it yourself and make your own decision, come up with your own decision. But first they said, we're not crossing, don't make us cross over. And Rashi has a whole thing about they put their, their cattle above their children because they mentioned in doing so they were going to first take care of their cattle. But I want to say, this, this gives you some thoughts to think about. This is a story of ambiguity, of paradox. Many of us live lives of unintended contradiction. Think about it. We live in America rather than Israel as Jews, many of us. Well, wait a minute. Didn't God call us back to Israel, all of us, if we're Jewish? And yet we live in America rather than Israel. I know many who go, who have gone to Israel. I know a number of people who have gone and come back. Or many, even today, and in the Messianic community, who go and come back and find themselves in that position, go back and forth. We never quite make it to the mission field. Sometimes we've said, we're going to go. I'm going to be, I am going to serve the Lord in this place. I am going to do this, and that's what's our goal. And yet some of us with that desire never make it. We watch Shark Tank. It's my go-to now. I love Shark Tank. <laughs> we see people fulfill their dreams, but I want to say that they are not the majority, necessarily. Not the majority. Some wait forever for the perfect spouse, the ideal couple, the perfect job. We all make choices and must live with them and can choose to gripe and whine or to glorify God and rejoice in our lot, to make the best of our conditions and to praise God and glorify him. Amen? The optimal is, not, is the exception, not the norm. But God joins us where we find ourselves if we yield ourselves to him. I repeat, God joins you. God joins us where we find ourselves if we yield ourselves and submit ourselves to him. I'm not saying give up on your dreams, by the way. I don't say, listen, go for your dreams. Go for it. I'll encourage you, and I'll say, go for it. Go for it. But I will say, don't be discouraged wherever you find yourself if you say, I didn't reach that, and everyone else seems to reach Everyone else seems to have, no, they don't. They're not perfect. No, they don't have the optimal. No, it's not what it looks like. Any more than social media, any more than putting a video and showing everything like everything's perfect. It's not showing you the, the, the difficult times. It's not showing you the struggles. It's not showing you. Social media doesn't show us all that, and sometimes some social media does, but a lot of social media leaves out all our, the tears and the struggles and the heart and the heartache. You know, you don't understand what I'm saying. God joins us where we find ourselves if we yield ourselves to him, and we can still be God's heroes and successful where we are, and we can live through others also who do achieve great things for God as well. We can live through others who are going to the, who make it to the 
foreign field, to the mission field, to the, to the, into the harvest by supporting them and being one with them and praying for them, right? And we can, we, we can live, we're still one, we're one body, one people, and we can live, be still be God's here and be successful where we are. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, for whatever circumstance I am in, I have learned to be miserable. Did I misquote that? Oh, I guess I misquoted it. For whatever circumstance I am in, I have learned to be what? Content. Yes, content. Hallelujah. I've learned to, to be content in whatever state I am in. I have learned the secret, he says, I, the, the mystery, the secret. Praise the Lord. These, these two and a half tribes made a decision. They said, we're going to go. We're going to fight. We're going to be Halutzim, the vanguard troops settling the land like the, in the early 20th century the, the, the Israel pioneers did. And look at Joshua chapter 1. If you want, turn there. Because guess what? They did it. These two and a half tribes actually did it. They fulfilled their promise to Moses under Joshua. Joshua 1 verses 10 through... 17 records it. I don't know if I'll read the whole thing, but I'll look, read a part of it here. Then Joshua commanded the officials, people, go through the camp, charge the people, prepare, prepare provisions. They're ready to, you know, this is going across, the, to, to, ready to, you know, go get the land. <clears throat> While crossing over the Jordan, go in to possess the land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Then Joshua spoke to the Reubenites, verse 12, Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, saying, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of Adonai, commanded you, saying, he's reminding all the way back to this promise what, what, and, and to the charge that Moses gave them, to the charge Moses gave them, the Lord your God has given you the rest, uh, you rest and assigned you this land, your wives, your little ones, etc., will remain, in, will remain, they'll remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, that's on the east side, the Transjordan area, as it's called, but you will cross over before your brothers armed all the mighty men of valor, and you will help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest, and he, in other words, so they conquer the land, given you to possess the land the Lord uh, has given you, and they will also possess the land the Lord God has given them, then they, you will return the land of your inheritance, possess what Moses, uh, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do. Verse 16. And whatever you send us, we, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And so... They did it. They inherited the land of the previously conquered kings on the side of Jordan, chapter 22. If you go to chapter 22, first six verses of Joshua, then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you you and have listened to my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not abandoned your kinsmen, uh, these many days, but you've kept the charge, commandment. So now the Lord your God has given rest to your kinsmen and turn to your tents to the land that is your possession, which the Lord Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be careful to observe his commandments, the Torah that Moses gave, etc. Keep his commandments. So Joshua blessed them 
and sent them, verse 6, away to their tents. So they did inherit it. He gave it to them, and, and uh, they fulfilled what they had promised. But the, but the two and one-half tribes were the first to be carried into captivity later by the Assyrian army in 1 Chronicles 5.26, because they were on the east. So because they were there, and they were, and it's believed they were probably assimilated, gradually assimilated. And would they not have been better to have let God choose their inheritance for them? Psalm 47.5 says, He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob whom he loved. I think they would have. I think they would have. I can't see it another way because that was the land God had promised them. That's my way of looking at it. I still think they would have been better letting God choose, choose their inheritance. And Moses had feared that their proposal might start that wave of complacency among the other tribes. Well, time proved Moses was right. Time proved Moses was right because the geographic separation eventually produced in them an indifference toward the nation's welfare, and Deborah sings later about it in Judges 5.16 when she sings in her song, Why Did You Stay in the Sheepfolds? Why Did You Stay in the Sheepfolds? And a story of ambiguity, the two and a half tribes, the two and a half tribes. But they fulfilled their word. They, and, they, and Moses fulfilled his word, and Joshua fulfilled his, his word. Father, we just thank you for this passage of Scripture, this story in the Torah. I thank you, Lord, that life isn't so, so cut and dry. That, as I've said today, it is our lives, in some sense, our lives of unintended contradiction. But we thank you that in it all, you are faithful and you don't abandon us and you are with us as we yield to you and you work through us and you bless us. You had a blessing for God, Lord. You blessed them and you still honored them, their request, and you still worked through them and you'll work in our lives, Lord, as we yield to you. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to your promises. Lord, and we want your best for us, Lord. We want to choose our, the best. And so where we have a choice, Lord, we're going to ask today that we choose to let you choose our inheritance, <laughs> that we choose, ask you to choose our inheritance for us in Psalm 47.5. And if you feel that way with me, I'm going to ask you to just stand, Lord. I want to ask you to choose our inheritance. Choose our inheritance for us, Lord. Lord, may it be a lush pastures where we're, we're looking at something that's really lush and we have all these flocks and we say, oh, it's just better to stay here. But Lord, we don't want our will first. We want what's your will, your best for us. And then whatever happens, we're going to trust you, Lord. We're going to trust you, Lord, that whatever falls out, we're not going to indict. We're not going to be jealous of others. We're not going to look and say, why isn't, you know, we're going to trust and thank you, be content in whatever state we're in. We're going to thank you 
and glorify you and choose to praise you and be grateful and praise you in whatever, wherever we are, whatever you have us, for your glory and trust you that all things do work to the good, together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose because we are, we do love you, and we are called according to your purpose. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Thank you, Lord God. Bless you and praise you. And if you've never trusted Yeshua and invited him into your life, what an opportunity to do it right now, to say, Lord, I'm yielding myself to you. I trust Yeshua as my Messiah. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I want to yield my life to you. I'm opening my heart to you, God, to come into my life today and give me a new start, to wash me, to make me new. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving me eternal life through your death on the tree for me. Yeshua, I, Jesus, I receive you today as my Messiah, my, my Messiah, my Lord, my Messiah, my Yeshua, my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Come into my life. Give me new life. Give me this new start. If you're praying that prayer, there'll be people up here in just a few minutes to pray with you. Yivrechecha Adonai v'yishmorecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'ichunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach Sar HaShalom The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the ruler of peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.